0: Welcome to Construction Cash Flow. I'm your host Stu Davidson and if you haven't already done so hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode.
1: So they're gonna write a contract that effectively has everything in the kitchen sink in there whether it's necessary or not, and then they're gonna they're gonna basically demand that the specialist contractor has to sign up to these terms, when it's actually the specialist contractor, to my mind anyway, who knows their trade best. And it should be them that dictates the terms, not the other way around. It's almost like unplugging somebody from the matrix, it really is. This industry needs to change.
0: In this show we ask our guests to tell us their story, tell us a little bit about their background, how they got to where they are today, how they develop their product, their services, their ideas and we discuss how that can affect construction cash flow and other areas of construction and also to give us an idea of how we might make things better and give you a few tips and ideas to take away with you. And listen to the end, where you'll find out more about them, more about our guests, about what motivates them, what inspires them, and hopefully that'll inspire you too. And always, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss another episode. In this episode, I'm delighted to introduce you to Joseph Ewing. Josef as over 30 years experience in the industry, working on large infrastructure, civil engineering projects, and also within the energy industry in the UK and internationally. Joseph is an expert witness, mediator, and expert in adjudication. More recently, he's been helping specialist contractors draft their own terms and conditions, reviewing contracts, and coaching and mentoring. So it's without further ado, I'd love to introduce you to Yosef Ewen. Hi, Yosef. Welcome to the show. How are you doing?
1: I'm good, yeah. Uh, quite excited. Stu, I've never actually done a podcast before. So uh, thanks for having me here. I hope uh, I can add some value to your listeners' uh, lives here. Yeah, sure. Um, so starting at the beginning, I was born 49 years ago now. Uh, I turned 49 on Boxing Day last year. Uh, didn't have a particularly Great start to life. I, I was born in Glasgow in 1973. My mother had uh, some uh, issues with postnatal depression and various other mental illnesses, which I didn't know about until I was a little older. Um, she wasn't particularly nice to me when I was born, and I, long story short, I was taken off her and put into a children's home down in Ayrshire where I stayed until about 1979. Uh, then I was fostered to, to Kirkcorry in Fife where I've lived ever since with a family. Uh, up until I was in, in uh, my teens, um, yeah, and uh, the the foster home, sorry, the, the care home that I, I lived in, the children's home rather, in Dundonald in Ayrshire, actually was closing down in 1979, so my my entire family were kind of split up, put into different homes throughout the UK and, and, and overseas eventually, uh, so yeah, not particularly a great start, but then uh, I, I grew up and became an engineer at 16, uh, working with my dad, um, on Wimpey home sites throughout Edinburgh and uh, the Lothians and Central Belt. Uh, I really enjoyed that. I got a a, a great love for our industries, particularly the the people within it. I thought it was really exciting getting to to travel all over and and set things out and put roads in the right place and make sure people were paid on time and so forth. And uh, that's where I learned the ropes about commercial management, project management. I always had a kind of curiosity as to why uh, things did or happened the way they were supposed to happen. I always looked to ways to improve them. Um, and then we kind of fast forwarded to 2005. My my, my my dad's company, unfortunately, went insolvent because a lot of companies wouldn't pay him what he was due when he was due to be paid. Uh, that kind of, uh, well, they've been too dramatic, but actually broke my heart in all honesty. Um, he gave me a home when a lot of people wouldn't have. And uh, to watch that happen to him was really, really, uh, well, just not nice. And I I resolved at that point in time to say, well, you know, this industry needs to change because, you know, as an engineer, we, we do great things in the built environment. We, we change it in a great way, but for some reason we just can't seem to build relationships. And I I just think that's nonsense. Um, so that's what I've been trying to do ever since that happened, um, in protecting smaller companies, the specialist contractors in adjudication, giving them advice, trying to get them to stay, uh, well, safe and, and, to, 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 for want of a better word. So yeah, so I did that up until, well, i still do that today, sorry. Uh, in 2015, I went over to the States and I studied uh, entrepreneurship um, at Babson College. And it was over there that I, st- I studied like, companies like Facebook and Airbnb and stuff. And I saw that they did platform businesses and I thought that would be great to have a platform in construction where we could effectively have solutions for companies who are dealing with poor payment, cash flow issues and so forth. So that's been what I've been working on ever since, but recently I changed over to coaching clients instead of just working with them in disputes. The way I figured it was, I've been doing this for 32 years, I've worked around all areas of the industry, particularly in uh, difficult situations when insolvency and non-payment, late payment, excuse me and so forth and it occurred to me that the best way to help the companies that I worked with was to actually work with them before the problem started I've been trying to do that for many years but I didn't in all honesty Stuart I, I didn't really know how to articulate it very well um and the problem kind of just kept going kept going so I'm really glad to say in the last six months I've taken a number of coaching clients um and I've seen big gains for these guys already they're not putting up with the rubbish terms and the crap terms that they're expected to sign up to they're they're putting their best foot forward and they're they're they notice a difference so yeah hopefully we'll we'll see more of that and uh yeah exciting times ahead
0: yeah amazing story uh joseph you know there's there's so much there uh, that builds us around what we do and what we end up doing and what we feel passionate about mm-hmm. and you know your your background obviously there's there's clear clearly a, a, a passion for supporting helping people and it's a very you know i'd like to in the construction podcast to explore yes the technical nuts and bolts of how subcontractors and contractors can protect themselves in terms of setting up contracts but there's a very human side as well isn't there yeah. you know and i like what you're doing because the coaching side you know we can all be uh, an expert witness or a um a lawyer and, and and help them after the event but really it's a bit like um you know if you give if you give a man a fish he'll eat for a day if you give him a fishing rod he'll eat for the rest of his life so mm-hmm. it's great what you're doing is that you're you're actually teaching uh, subcontractors to be able to stand on their own two feet look after themselves and actually really eat for the rest of their lives because if they're not paid they're not eating you know uh, they're not 100%. putting food on the table for their family so it's a real great uh, cause that you have there and it's nice to see the tables turning a little bit and people like yourself putting some power into the hands of the supply chain because for a very long time uh, the contract terms and conditions have been dictated by uh um contractors main contractors but really they're written i always feel they're written by lawyers for lawyers because they've got gray areas and lawyers love gray areas that's where Mm. they have fun they have fun in the gray areas but we don't have fun in the gray areas the the suppliers the contractors don't have fun in the gray areas that's where their stress is that's mm-hmm. where they're uh, going to lose money in the grey areas. So you know you yeah. can see there's two different sides to this equation. Um, so how how are you finding how are you finding the coaching work over the last six months? Um, what 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 do you see is the, the the key problems that the coaching solves and the key problems that the your clients that's, uh, are facing at the moment?
1: Yeah, uh, interestingly, so so Sue, so the 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 main problem is, like you said, the the contracts that are written, ninety nine percent of the time aren't actually fit for purpose. They aren't actually practicable, as in you know they won't actually work in in real life. Like you say, um, they're written for contracts, contracts. Sorry, uh, by lawyer. Sorry for lawyers, if you like, ultimately in disputes further down the line, potentially, you know, it's the old, is it the fox looking after the hen house? You know, maybe I'm being a bit cynical there. <laughs> uh, however, let's park that one. But the way I see it is, is and, and and I know a lot of people in the, the legal industry, and I'm not saying they're all, you know, out to, to get contractors, because at the end of the day, they do what they're asked to do but it's a function. So essentially, if an employer or main contractor goes to a lawyer, and bear in mind the main contractor and the employer, this is a key distinction, doesn't know the specialist trade as well as a specialist tradesman or, or contractor knows so they're going to write a contract that effectively has everything in the kitchen sink in there whether it's necessary or not and then they're going to they're going to basically demand that the specialist contractor has to sign up to these terms when it's actually the specialist contractor to my mind anyway who knows their trade best and it should be them that dictates the terms not the other way around and that's the problem i see in the industry so when it comes to coaching i basically explain that it's almost like I'm plugging somebody from the matrix it really is when you see that the light bulb moment and they go right okay wait a minute a lot of these guys don't even realize they can ch- challenge it so if somebody says you know you've got to sign these contract terms um i had one the other day with a client and it's a typical old one saying you know they, they wait until the guy's on site even though they've accepted the offer and now they've put a contract to my client to say that, that if you don't sign this we won't pay it now here, here's a free piece of advice for all your listeners. That's actually illegal and it has been for a number of years. You can't force somebody to sign a contract. So my client, as I've said to them and advised them and advised the other side, that the contract already exists. So we we, we don't need to sign your, your contract. It's as so simple as that. You mm. you dropped the ball. You should have put that out with the invitation to tender. You didn't. You can't now, after the event, come back and say, well, you've got to sign these or we won't pay you. You can't do that. It's simple. Mm. You know? So it's just things exactly. like that, you know and, and they've already started on site so they've accepted the terms by wow. allowing the contractor to start work exactly yeah so so that's it but the, the amount of companies out there that just they would just go ahead and sign it because they think well i better do it in case I, I get into bother and you know i say to them well hang on a minute here why did you get into this business you know so most most trades you know civil my background civil engineering you know but you have a an, an electrician for example or a plumber or you would have Um, you know gas engineers there's so many different trades out there these are the guys that are in the industry for me you know these are the guys who who effectively get up every day you know go to work and try to do a great job yet i know their trade that's the the key thing they know their trade but yet they're dictated to by the people who don't know their trade It's, it's it's back to front and to me it's pardon my friends but it's completely bullshit it's just like hang on a minute here what who's working for who you know exactly
0: I, I i was at a pre-start meeting actually only last week mm-hmm. and they were going through the contract terms and there was a term in there which i see all the time which is a catch-all it's the subcontractor is deemed to include everything arising from the drawings even if it's not on the drawings and uh, the <laughs> contract and tender information is for mm. for for um just just reference only but does you know and we and we reserve the right to change anything with no increase to the contract sum yeah. and i'm thinking oh my god i mean you know what 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 you're talking about because mm-hmm. it exactly gets back to 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 what you say did they, they have no inclination of what's included in the subcontract package mm-hmm. but it's just a catch-all and an ask covering exercise that if they've missed anything they can you know they can get the subcontractor to do it for free? Yeah. Well,
1: this is it. This is this year. and the thing for for me, and this is this is why I decided to, to launch the coaching side, was to say, well, look, you know, my clients typically I would have to wait. So my business model was I would wait until somebody screwed up. You know, as simple as that. Until there was a, a dispute, I'm kind of waiting there for for somebody to come along and say, right, I need your help in a dispute. So I, I mean, I've worked with clients. Some of these guys have done eight or nine adjudications over the last, you know, well, sixteen years I've been doing this, and it, and it occurred to me, I thought, well. Not only is it particularly stressful, not just for my clients, but, but for myself as well and for any practitioners, it's not really a natural state of being. It's been constantly in dispute. And I said to them, well, my clients last year, I went, look, why don't we look at it from a different perspective? You know, you guys pay me a, a lot of money, to be fair, you know, it's, it's percentages and so forth to get you out of a difficult situation because of the business model. And I said, why don't we turn on its head and say, well, I'll read your contracts. I'll, I will indemnify you against any future adjudications. And all you have to do is sign up for a for a period of time, and then I'll teach you everything that I know. You know, and when you when I put it that way, people were just like the penny dropped, and they were like, "Shit, right? Okay, that's interesting." And people have started to sign up, and it's, it's I love I love doing it. It's so much fun, and it's so kind of um, fulfilling when you actually see these guys actually understand what, I, like, you know, don't settle. And if you think about it this way, I I mean, a a great illustration of our our industry, Stu, is if you think about it this way, where on earth, what other industry or what other sector could you basically effectively demand or or in some respects extort an interest-free, unsecured loan that you can potentially default on with no penalty? Nobody in the world would you get away with that, but yet that's our construction industry. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Absolutely, and, yeah. and and it's an antiquated culture that goes back hundreds of years, and it's never really, never really changed. I know, you know, know. With, with all the rhetoric and all the important reviews, so-called mm-hmm. that have that have been written about working together and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, there's still the cultural thing that, not the human side of it, the cultural side of it, mm-hmm. that hasn't really been addressed. It's top down, and so things do need to change you know it needs to change still and and i think the only way we can do it is people like yourself that are actually putting the knowledge and the expertise in the hands of subcontractors and contractors Mm -hmm. that they can then come back and say look actually this may be the contract but this is our terms and conditions and have the courage to say actually no i'm not signing up to it you Mm -hmm. know these are our terms we're the experts in the field this is the best way to frame the contract Mm -hmm. and the frame and and the contract uh you know needs to be there so that everyone can make a profit not Mm. everyone passes the risk or passes the buck or covers their backside it's let's make a profit as an industry you know Mm -hmm. and be proud that we're creating wealth down the line for communities and families you know and we can't do that if the money's not flowing
1: oh 100 this is a this is always a problem and to me you know, I see a lot on, on people talk about it on LinkedIn and I've seen it in my work over the years and, and it's this kind of them and us culture. And I'm like, pardon my French, fuck that. It's not them and us. We're all to, we're all in this together. You know, it's literally, we are all human beings living on a piece of rock floating through space, you know, and ultimately you don't know when your time's up. So just be kind to people. You know, why do, why do people feel the need? Like you say, so, and, and again, you know, from the flip side, I see subcontractors constantly moaning and berating people online and saying you know bash bashing all this kind of stuff and it's yeah it does go on but we could either moan about it or we could do something about it you know and i'm in i'm in the latter camp i'm just well you know i used to be a subcontractor i don't know what it's like to be like that in a nice position so i got smart that's what i did you know so, so but now, now i'm turning around giving that knowledge back to the industry to say well look you know these guys are going to do that as long as you let them away with it don't let them away with it. It's not really rocket science, but it's a huge paradigm shift in people's minds because they're so used to that's just the way it's done. And when you actually mm. give them a shake and go, Well, we'll do it differently. You know, that's why I'm looking for like enlightened leaders to come and join this movement to come along and say, Well, we're not doing it that way anymore. We, we, we are the many, you're the few, you know, as in like the, the old proverbial tail wagging the dog, you know, it's, but the minute the dog realizes it wags the tail, the tail's screwed, you know. And that, that's what we need to do is to wake up people in the industry to say, well, hang on a minute. You you are the specialist, you have the knowledge. So why are you being told what to do with your job? Did you go through that apprenticeship and all the years of training and then learning your craft after you did your, your training to be told how to do your job? I don't think so. So why are you, mm-hmm. why are you accepting that? You know, if these guys that could do happen. your job, they would do it, but they can't so they come to you. And then, if, then it basically dictate the terms dictate the payment terms and stuff like that. I mean, imagine you walked into Marks and Spencer's and you saw an Apple for 70p and you took it to the till and said, I'm only going to give you 30p for this and I'll be back in a month to pay you. I think the security guard would throw you at the freaking front door. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know it's, I'm kind of making light, but, but that's the, yeah. the absurdity of it sometimes. And it's when you ex- it explain that to people in coaching and they go, know your worth, know your value in the, in the marketplace. If other companies, your competition decide they want to go ahead and do that, fucking let them, you know. If they want to be stupid enough to sign up to that, stand your ground, only work with people that, that, that you are comfortable with. You know, mm. and if you get, as I call it, red flags. So I'll say it to my clients all the time, red flag, red flag, red flag. And these red flags are just so blatant. It's just, you know, like, for example, that company sending an email after you've started on site. If you don't sign my contract, I won't pay you well well, we basically said if that's the way you're going to be we'll just retract it off and walk off the site because there is no contract and we're not in breach you know yeah. um, so things like that How would a subcontractor sell their sort of contractual
0: terms back to a main contractor or a client developer if it's a construction management route uh, how would they what is the best way so they're coming towards a contractor that's got his standard terms and he's mm-hmm. used to be standard terms and the and and the contractor says, "Okay, um look, you know I can't accept those terms. these are our policies, these are our terms mm-hmm. um how How would they sell that to the main contractor, or what advantage do you think there could be to a main contractor or a developer of the subcontractor um, uh, proposing the the these
1: specialist terms?" See, I think we need to reframe it because it's not a case of selling the idea to a main contractor. The main contractor is like the person walking into Marks and Spencer's looking for an apple. The main contractor has no right to dictate terms. They they're looking for a service. If they if they knew how to do the service, then they would be in the right place to dictate what terms. So, so in my experience, you do have a lot of kind of tier two contractors that might have a set of kind of standard terms and conditions and policies. But they're never standard because they're amended to suit each each site. So that if they're amended to suit each site, they can also be amended to incorporate the main the subcontractor's conditions. Bear in mind the subcontractor is the person who knows what risk that they're 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 prepared, sorry, to expose themselves to. So if you think about it, a main contractor basically approaches a subcontractor and says that in order to work with me, you've got to give me a program, you've got to give me a price, you've got to do all these things to satisfy their policies if you if you like. In doing that, they're effectively relying on the expertise of the subcontractor to a point, except for when the subcontractor says, but these are my terms. And it's, okay. it's like, but it's cherry picking. And so, so, the point, so the point I'm saying, and the takeaway for the listeners is, when you put an offer in, your offer includes your standard terms and conditions, that's your offer. They can't just split it apart. Because I used to do that as a subcontractor, when I worked for my dad years ago, I would sit with a lot of the bigger contractors at the pre-start meeting and uh, they would say, right, subcontractors, conditions, null and void. And I would literally close my laptop down and stand, go to move to stand up. Where are you going? Uh, well, you've retracted your offer. you uh, your acceptance of my offer. Um, uh, there's no point in me being here. No, 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 we accept your offer. We just don't accept your terms. I mean, well, my terms form, form part of my offer. If you don't accept them, and then they would basically go through the, the, the set of terms, which I still have to this day. And I, and I, and I actually sell it to the, to the industry as part of my intellectual property. You know, it's part of the, the coaching services, you know, I give them all these services, sort of these terms to effectively bolster their business. And then I show them how to apply them. And guess what? The main contractors come back and we either we either amend their their main contract. A lot of the times, you know, we take like, for example, it was NEC3, we'll score out loads and loads of z clauses which are just nonsense and completely irrelevant and then we'll say well well, these are the terms you propose and then we'll put them in the order of precedence within the the agreed contract schedule and it works you know people just don't believe it until they see it actually in practice and then they go i didn't think this was possible anything told you (laughs) i've been doing it for years yeah you know yeah Um, that i think that's the the amazing key thing
0: is that the main contractors are open to Uh, accepting the amended terms Mm. Uh, whereas you know the fear I think from a subcontractor is that I'm not going to get the job because they're not going to accept the terms you know Um, but having said that you know I I uh, I've worked with subcontractors or no subcontractors before that have rather than Put in an amended contract terms they've accepted the terms because they need the work or they mm-hmm. felt they needed the work but then they've lost money on on those jobs you know and mm-hmm. and the stress that you know they've been kicked around uh, you know the main contractor starts to wave around the contract and they've been kicked around for example you know uh, i know a brickwork firm that was on a large project and the uh, the site coordination wasn't great site management wasn't great um you know they weren't providing loading bays and sufficient uh, timely deliveries but mm-hmm. we're blaming the contractor and they were asking the contractor to, they wanted more bricklayers more bricklayers more bricklayers so threatening them with default notices because they're blaming them for the delay mm-hmm. so the contractor put the put the extra bricklayers on um more and more and more bricklayers but as you can imagine the more bricklayers they put on the job, the lower yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the 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 lower the productivity is. And you know, they're being paid, the bricklayers expect to get paid every week, mm-hmm. and the, the the subcon the brickland subcontractor is on fifty-four day terms. So That's you know, incredible. you 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 know, and 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 at the same time the contractor was re- uh, issuing pay less notices and contra charges because he was blaming the contractor for the the subcontractor for the delays. So there yeah. you go. It doesn't take long before the subcontractor goes out of business. And at the same time, the main contractor was lining up another bricklayer because he had an outstanding payment of a quarter of a million pounds. Mm-hmm.
1: It's, it's, brutal, it's brutal. And it's, it's, it's what it is yeah. what I mean, that's what happens in the industry. And again, you know, the way I say it is that's the, the risk, shall we say? So think about this in terms of, So I often say my analogy is, if you imagine your profit as a person, you know, like a, a workman. And before, so when I worked in civils, we had, you know, the hard hat, the high-vis vest, the overalls, gloves, uh, safety shoe, shoes, you know, all that kind of, you had to wear all this equipment before you went on a site. And I'm saying, well, what do you do with your profit? When you expose your profit to risk? That's the same, the same idea. You need to protect your profit, because without the profit, none of the other stuff matters. You know? So so going back to your the point with, with the bricklaying contractor, he's in that problem situation. So that, that's a symptom of the industry, if you like, non-payment and so forth. What I'm trying to do, I'm not trying to do, I'm I am i am actually doing is my my services go to the root cause of the problem. It's a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding of the rights and the position in the marketplace. The position in the marketplace is actually Above. So another thing I, I, I thought about before we, I came on to, to the podcast as well, just something I, th- I thought about is when you think of the name subcontractor, even that name itself makes it sound like they're lesser than the main contractor. And I'm thinking, well, bollocks to that. That's not actually true. When you think about it, that's, that's a perception that, that, that they, they are some kind of hierarchy that we are above you, we pay you. Yeah, there's a supply chain, but it doesn't necessarily have to be vertical. It could be horizontal. Mm-hmm. You know, so it could be a chain that sits along a flat plane and everybody works together and is equal. So, you know, this this idea that that because you're a subcontractor, main contractor, he's in charge, he tells you what to do and you've just got to do it. We need to change that perception in the industry because it's not the case. Like I said, these specialist contractors are the ones who know how to do their job. The main contractor does not know how to do their job. Therefore, why are they telling you what to do? (laughs) It makes no sense you know so not only are they telling you what to do they're telling you when they'll pay you they're telling you all these things you say whoa stop stop a minute here put the put the boot back on the other foot to the the subcontractor the specialist contractors i prefer to call them so you're a specialist contractor you know your trade um you tell these guys that this is what this is the risks that you know in your industry are, are relevant and a main contractor that has any common sense should listen to you because if they don't then they're setting themselves up to to fail because I would use that and I would use that evidence in an adjudication against them further down the line. and Say, well, your your subcontractor actually told you at tender stage these were the issues you refused to accept them, and then look what's happened. You know, so th- these are the things that's it's, it's actually start at the beginning. You know, there's no point in waiting until you know you're on site because the main contractor can't coordinate all the different trades, points the finger at you, and then takes liquidated damages of all the trades, and and he's quids in. <laughs>
0: You know? yeah exactly and i think sometimes the problem is that the main a main contractor's policy they're not um not all but mm-hmm. some of the larger ones are not construction people they're investment mm-hmm. people you yeah. they're develop they're, they're basically developers and you know they're working on a very tight budget the cost of land the cost of property is high and the funders the funders in insurance have strict rules around the margins, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So they're pushing, constantly pushing the amount of money left in to do the project down, down and down. Mm-hmm. You know, so so I think you've got that, you've got that kind of um, that pressure. But I I must admit where where I've procured work before, so I procured from a client's point of view, a contractor's point of view, tender packages, etc. Um I've been, I I quite like uh, subcontractors issuing their own terms and conditions when I'm putting Mm -hmm. a contract, when I'm drafting a contract, because it gives me uh, much more insight into where the risks are. So Mm -hmm. it's almost, you know, because quite often we de-risk things in the industry, It's de-risk from the top. So we have an idea. We're trying to do our risk analysis at the developer, financer level, main contractor level. But when you start to get the the, the uh, policies in from the subcontractors, it can de-risk in the other direction. So mm-hmm. you know, I've 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 actually put contracts together before where I've taken into account the the wording of the subcontractors' policies and terms and mm-hmm. conditions. Is to be able to take all of those and coordinate those as a as a whole. So you you know, so that one's not compromising the other. But it takes a lot of skill. to to coordinating the works on site you quite often is the main contractor sits in the middle and if something goes wrong it's never going to be their fault for coordination it's either going to be the client's fault for changing something or it's going to be the specialist's fault for delaying something so I'll issue a contra charge to the specialist and on the
1: other side I'll offer the issue a claim to the client where the the main contractor effectively to some extent in my experience has been almost like a management consultant you know, I, I, did a, I was involved in adjudication during lockdown. Um, it was a best part of £10 million was was in play. And uh, the, I remember the project director on the other side, I think he was an ex-used car salesman, uh, something crazy like that. I was just thinking, like, well, how did he get into that position? And you're thinking, you know, you're speaking to somebody who doesn't have a clue what you're talking about, literally. And you're thinking, right, okay, well, well what hope does the subcontractor, sorry, the specialist contractor, beg your pardon, uh, have when... You know, that's, that's what we're we're up against. So the lack of knowledge isn't just with the subcontractors. And this is what I'm explaining to subcontractors as well. A lot of subcontractors that, I, that advise or coach rather just assume. And that's where a lot of the problem is. It's just these assumptions in the industry. The main contractor knows what they're doing. <laughs> and a lot of occasions, no, they don't. So that hence the reason why I always say put your own T's and C's in there. You know your trade. Put them in. So, you know, as I said, the, the, a lot of the time, they'll come up further further down the line and use the, the tactic that if you don't sign it, we won't pay you. Well, for a start, they can't do that because it's against the Construction Act. It has been for a long time, you can't do that. Um, and the fact of the matter is that there's already a contract in play, um, and, if, and if the contract in play is based on their offer and acceptance, and there, there aren't terms in there, then the scheme for construction contracts that came from parliament regulations uh, come into play. So there's always a contract, it doesn't matter. You know, so 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 this, this, this view that you've got, you know, like, like for example, I did an NEC3 contract. Without a word of a lie, I had 67 pages of amendments, Z clauses. And I'm thinking, you know, I went back to the other side. So I I, I was working for a, or advising a client who I'd done a number of adjudications for. And this guy, to be fair to him now, he, he won't turn a wheel without my, my, me giving him the green light, which is good. You know, it's a great relationship oh, cool. to have. And I, he basically said, look, I don't know what you're talking about. Could you speak to the... The, the main contractor. So I did. I went back. And I, I can't remember the clause off the top of my head, but it was something just completely absurd and, and unworkable. And I said to him, look, I've scored out the best part of 45 pages of Z clauses. My client won't accept. Um, and they were like, oh, well, you need to you need to sign that or you, you'll not get the job. And I'm like, you, you know, you misunderstand. We don't want the job as it, right, as it stands right now. And the offer has been retracted until such times as this. The conversation changed like that. Mm. They went, oh, no, no, but we need you to do it. I, well, we know you need us to do it. Thank you for admitting that. Um, by the way, we need to change these. And I, actually, I I put a couple of clauses to the guy on the on the call, and I can't remember, if, sorry off the top of my head what they were, but I asked them if they knew, more importantly, I said, do you even know what that means? And he, to, to be fair to the guy, he went, I don't have a clue, but we were forced, to, we had to sign them. Went, well, I would disagree that you had to sign them. You chose to sign them, but my client doesn't have to sign them. And long story short, my client didn't sign them, we got all these taken out and his and terms were accepted on the project and all the amendments were removed and again my client just says i have no idea how you did that but thank you <laughs> you know so <laughs> I mean, more, yeah. again more, but i'm trying to teach him because again it's like i can't do what he does and that's what i mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm not for example i can't go and rewire a house i can't build the South, the queen's ferry crossing i can't you know do the thames tideway tunnel but i know how to avoid Disputes, and I know how to resolve disputes. I know how to make sure your cash flow works. I know these are all things that I know. So, why not get somebody that knows what they're doing to do it instead of just almost like being rushing relay every time you sign a contract? Exactly. Do you think there's a scope then uh,
0: to simplify contracts throughout? You know, because we we quite often get these contracts with so many Z clauses or so many amendments, and mm-hmm. you know, you've got a standard standard form of contract which is um got so many grey areas in anyway. Then we add in amendments and then we add in amendments to those amendments and then amendments to those amendments that mm-hmm. amend the other amendments. You know, so nobody yeah. actually understands what the hell's going on. Exactly. Uh, but the lawyers the lawyers love it. That's where they have fun. That's where they dance. That's their that's their uh that's their bread and butter but but for yeah. us that build buildings it's not fun you know it's, no. it's kind of let's make it simple and do you think there's any scope for getting to a smart
1: contract uh, scenario I, well the way our ai is going potentially in the future uh, i've been dabbling with that for for marketing reasons but but I, I see that being a an idea in the future with um you know if we we, we kind of systemize a lot of the the kind of the trends shall we say the problematic issues and areas um, then potentially, yeah. But I think to to me, the 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 main issue isn't you know you can't oversimplify it because every I mean every project's unique, albeit it uh, uh, rests on three three key principles for me, and it goes back to the what we call the Barnes Triangle, you know, named after Martin Barnes. He was one of the main guys behind NEC, uh, a bit of a, a bit of a legend to me, to be honest. Much respect. Uh, but he talked about time, cost, and quality, and and that's what I feel we bring back to it, is and every time i work in and in, in the industry do my job i always think of the three pillars as time cost quality and only those three things matter so every time i look at a contract and this is the irony you could spend thousands of pounds you know a big big main contractor could spend that that contract comes to me and i literally drive a horse and cart through it because it's completely nonsensical it's like a swiss cheese there's so many holes in it it's completely unworkable because like take the nec for example it actually says in the start do not amend the core clauses and they go and amend the core clauses. <laughs> and then we come to adjudication <laughs> and we're trying to interpret it. And we can say, well, it can mean five different things, by the way. And we choose, it, we, it can mean that, it could mean this, it mean that, and it, it, it becomes silly. You know, you think, well, why don't we just leave it as is? Because people with really intelligent minds put that together as a standard form. But why are you writing a standard form? You know, no. it's, it's crazy. Yes, you can yeah. have Z clauses, but I remember years ago down in London, it was uh, the Lee Tunnel, and they had ZZ clauses. And I thought I, I thought I'd seen it all. I thought what? <laughs> and it was <laughs> too many too many zeds, and they're asleep. <laughs> I know that's what I was. I almost fell asleep reading it. I was thinking, what? And none of it even made a lot of sense. I was like, what is this even for? You know. So so I mean, contract to me is is the key things are uh, how how to get paid, how what to do if you don't get paid, and that's what the Construction Act is all about. You know, the the cash flow, sorry. So I mean, even even the, Co- the Construction Act came from parliament so we we're talking about cash flow obviously on your your podcast and the cash flow we, we used to call it when it first came out it was known affectionately as the cash flow act unfortunately it's not really i mean it's, it's done a great job and I, I i have to commend it's fantastic adjudication is a great process and it is uh, like the only the only game in town i think uh, coulson said in the king's college report last year and i agree with him but uh, i don't think parliament went far enough so i mean i talk about this on linkedin quite a lot so, for example, when you have a decision that for, for, you know, as a small contractor, say you were chasing £50,000 in adjudication and you won it, and the main contractor just turns around and says, I disagree with the decision and forces you to go to court. You know, I, I I think that's wrong. I think, no, whether the adjudicator got it wrong or not is irrelevant. All the judges say the same thing. The Adjudicators can get it wrong, but if you want to rerun it, go to court. But I think it should be mandatory that you should pay that money to that, that guy there and then, because people are going to solve him because they're not. Particularly with lockdown, when the courts were closed, I'd never seen an, an, an enforcement prior to that point, and then all of a sudden everybody starts refusing to pay the pay the, the decisions against them because they knew the courts were shut, and you're thinking that's just wrong, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, exactly. I I mean, I'm
0: not um, I, from what I've seen from adjudication, it can be a very expensive mm-hmm. process, particularly if it's a complex case. Yeah, and you know i think subcon, uh, especially subcontractors are um you know they're they're on a tight budget as it is and the reason they're going to adjudication is probably because they haven't got the cash in the business because it's not being paid to them mm-hmm. and to to then think about paying an adjudicator paying a lawyer paying a solicitor paying an expert witness uh mm-hmm. you know it can it's quite a daunting it's quite a daunting prospect, even going to adjudication. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd a I thought, uh, I was thinking the other day, it should be free adjudication to a subcontractor. There should be an option for a free adjudication, in my view, mm-hmm. uh, and a quick adjudication. And um, one of the things the government and councils take from developers, because all of this comes, you know, the, the budget set the development stage. Whether it's mm-hmm. a good deal, whether the deal stacks up or not, and then we all try and fit into it and and save people's bacon, if you like, if they've 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 signed a a poor deal on a on a land deal or something, but. But uh, um, you know, the ca- you've got the seal payments and you've got the Section one hundred sixes. So there's these payments that are taken from developers, and, and mm-hmm. then the councils use them for the community. Mm-hmm. Well, I would I would argue that you benefit the community by creating wealth in the community, and the way you create wealth in the community is that those people in the community, which are quite often specialist subcontractors in the construction uh, uh, sector, they get they get paid you know so so why can't something like a section 106 or a seal payment be diverted towards funding a specialist adjudicator on each project mm. yeah so, uh, independent
1: adjudicator yeah, mm. yeah. uh or, or even a collective fund because not every project ends in dispute to be fair so um but yeah no i, I mean I, I like the idea it's a good a good, a good uh, concept what i've done with the, the contract coach uh, to make it more, uh, what's the word, kind of easy to, to understand, but also more attractive to, to potential companies. So, like, for example, the directors that I speak to, when I say to them that we could coach you, but what what I've done to sweeten the deal is I've effectively put my money where my mouth is and said, well, if you, so you can sign up for a, a month-to-month basis if you want and cancel, you know, uh, with a month notice. But if you actually sign up for six months with me, I will actually underwrite the costs of going to adjudication and do it purely on a no win no fee basis because that's I, because, amazing well that's it but but I, I did that because so normally my process would be there would be a discovery fee in other words i have to look because this is the other thing is that the way i work and there's other companies out there that do no win no fee which i don't really agree with the process because they're not actually adding value so the way i do it is if, if you come to me with a dispute and you say right you sort of you know xyz construction I'd own me, you know, £100,000 or £20 million or it doesn't matter, it's the same principle. Uh, I would say, right, Stu, I need these documents. I've got a very clear onboarding process. Um, when I got those documents, I'll give you a price to to review them, a fixed price. I wouldn't change. Um, I'll review that and I'll tell you at that point in time your chances of success and in an adjudication. And, and, and at that point, I'll tell you that I'll take your case. I'll then charge a setup fee for... Uh, producing the notice and the referral effectively running the case and then it's a percentage of what we do and what we recover clients have loved that because they get certainty of cost and ultimately if if we don't win because sometimes that can happen unfortunately adjudication um then obviously it doesn't cost them any more money so i've I've done that to to that point however when i started the coaching what i said was to, to to prospective clients i said i'll tell you what i'll do." I'll waive the discovery and I'll waive the setup costs. So I'll effectively set up an entire adjudication for you with no outlay whatsoever. And if we win, then it's a percentage of what we recover and we split it so that so we're both in it together. And the idea is that I'm putting my money where my mouth is and that skin in the game, as they say, sorry, because mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm so confident in my services that we'll, we should really avoid these situations. And so far, so good we have, you know. Uh, well we'll see what the future brings of course
0: (laughs) well that's that's amazing and you know Yosof, you're clearly pioneering and and I really like that and and it really aligns with my values as well to to pioneer change uh in that you know it's affordable disputes are affordable that Mm -hmm. specialist subcontractors can table and have the confidence to table their their own terms and conditions Mm -hmm. and I think in the long term it's going to benefit uh, developers and main contractors because it de-risks the areas of the grey areas and the areas of the unknowns. The, the the thing they don't know about, especially subcontractor or their trade, mm-hmm. that they can get the feedback on. You know, I'd much rather look at, uh, look at everybody's terms and conditions in terms of who's in the supply chain and bring it together coordinate that and bring it together. And then I can see the big picture of where the risks are, where mm-hmm. the interfaces are, rather than just guess or, or have catch-alls. What you quite often see at the moment is catch-alls, mm-hmm. you know, and which, which don't really, I don't think in the long-term help anybody. You know, We need to get into the mm-hmm. kind of nitty gritty detail and proper, properly manage it and, and, and see where the, where the risks really are. So, yeah, um, yeah. no, I I love I love the work work you're doing and I'm sure listeners will will really be interested. Mm -hmm. You know, I think developers, contractors, specialists alike would be really interested in the work that you're doing. You know, uh, it's refreshing.
1: Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. It's all about know knowledge transfer. I mean, the, the thing is, to me, and I've said this a number of times, and I stand by this, in, in the 16 years since I, since I left contracting to, to work in dispute resolution, and uh, I'm trying to change the industry, ultimately I've never, I've, I've yet to come across a, a dispute that was not avoidable, the, 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 sorry, that was avoidable, sorry, not avoidable, Got a double negative there, sorry. You know what I'm saying? You know, the, <laughs> I know what the you mean, is, yeah. The, the, the fact <laughs> is these, all these disputes are completely avoidable, and, the, and it's not just the financial cost; it's a stress, you know, the sleepless nights, the, the, the loss of opportunity for the, the subcontractor, all of that can be avoided and you can you can learn. So this is why I like, you know, the approach to the coaching and, and why the, the marketplace seems to be um, listening to what I'm saying, you know, slowly but surely is turning it around and saying, well, because the other thing is, and the, one of the benefits to the, the subcontractor that I'm working with or, or indeed the contractor was to the employer is to say, well, when the contractor or the employer is aware of my presence, the 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 discussion changes and i mean that's that's not been arrogant it's just a case of saying well you know someday independence watching what you're doing here you, you know that so you, you can't really do what you think you can do and and it actually creates you know almost like a not not a protective barrier but almost like a a bit of respect that's probably the word i was looking for you know because ultimately that's what it should be so a contract for to my mind in in terms of a definition morally speaking is an equitable division of risk between two parties who can understand and carry that risk? Otherwise, it's kind of servitude. Effectively, you will do what I say. I will pay you when I feel like it. And if you don't like it, tough. And you think, well, why would you sign up to that? What uh,
0: two or three tips that you could give a specialist in terms of approaching a contract? He's doing a tender. Uh, what things he could look out for. Uh, and when's the best time to get seek advice or to contact yourself, maybe?
1: Yeah, so so if you think about, I always talk about kind of three key events in in the life cycle of a contract. So so if you go if you bring it back to base principles, so I talk about contract strategy and maintenance, and um, that's that's kind of how how the coaching works. So every contractor that's out there, basically the clues in the name, they uh, enter contracts to to generate revenue and profit. So those are the foundations for each of the companies. You know the contractors if the if the foundations aren't very very solid then they're going to have a problem then you put a strategy in place to effectively manage the risks that you've identified and then you maintain it to, almost like a building yeah so so when a contractor is asked to tender for a project that's the when that's the time he or she sorry should be coming to me or somebody like me for advice um, because I, one of the things i always see or i'm not always sorry what i'm seeing more and more uh in the industry and i used to see it as a contractor myself is They'll ask you to sign sorry to, to, to price a project and it's only like I said before in the conversation when you actually go to start the project they'll give you a set of contract conditions and expect you to have it reviewed and signed within 24 hours before you start you say well no so so the, the tip I would say to, to the to the listener is if you ask the tender without terms ask for the terms you know at that point in time because in in, in the strictest sense of the word, how can you possibly price that unless you know where the risks are in the contract You know so if they don't give you them what to do is put subject to contract and limit your price to be accepted within 14 days you know so that you're not leaving it open-ended but always say subject to contract because then that way they can't force you into a contract by saying we accept your offer you go no no i want to see the contract once you've got the contract you can then go well i don't accept these terms i withdraw my offer good luck and and that or or as i said before at the very start is have your standard set your template of offer but also have your conditions of contract, which I said, you know, I've I've developed one that I give give out to coaching clients is now put your, your logo on the top of that one, stick it in with your offer. And every time you go into site, the next time they come up to you and said, here's my terms and conditions, you've got to sign them. Just say, well, well, no, we've already got a contract. What are you on about? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah, three, three tips. So uh, like I said, do not sign, uh, unless you know what you're signing up to. And if you don't know, get advice um like i said have your own terms of business and stick to them uh i would say that's the three key tips that i could give anybody you know
0: yeah amazing tips absolutely amazing tips now i think that's very 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 sensible so uh yosef time for a quick fire round about yourself and motivation and venture. oh okay here we go <laughs> okay all right so quick fire then um so let me ask you a few questions go how do it. you start how do you start your day Okay, uh, yeah,
1: so get up in the morning, obviously, <laughs> like most people, and uh, when I have a share, one of the, the routines I started last year, um, so I was actually talking about coaching, the reason, sorry, I should give some credit to my own coach, because this, this is a bit of a story, so my own coach, Luis Fernando, brilliant, uh, I actually got the idea from coaching, being coached, sorry, and that's when I understood, I said, that's, this is what I should be talking, this kind of approach to clients, so that's where it came from, yeah. But she, she sent me a book as, a, as an onboarding gift by uh, Wim Hof, you know, the ice guy, the ice man. Yeah. yeah. So, and by the way, you look a bit like him, I should have mentioned. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> I've been swimming in the ice cold
0: sea, actually, so maybe it turns you into a Wim Hof if you go oh, too yeah, many yeah. times. <laughs> well,
1: so, 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 sorry, circling back, I've got I've got a, a tendency to go off on tangents, so I apologise. But So how do I start my day is I get a shower, but I always do the ice cold part at the end and i i honestly say that must be about seven months or so that i've been doing it now and what a difference it's made to just your mindset in the morning you know you you feel energized my health's much better it's just you know you know i look 10 years younger maybe that last one's a bit of a stretch but uh that's it and then i have a cacao instead of a coffee i don't drink coffee um and then just a a healthy breakfast and maybe a bit meditation if i've got time when are you
0: most productive?
1: In the morning. In the mornings? Uh, yeah, uh, that's when I, I wake up and I'm, I'm like, my, my mind's going, you know, what, can, what, what, what new things could we get up to this week or today?
0: What's something new happening in your life right now?
1: Ah, first thing that pops into my mind, I got engaged. Um, hey, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you to my, uh, I'll be cheesy here, but I call her my soulmate, she is. Uh, I mean, I was going through a really tough time. Uh, the last few years I think I uh, spoke about it on LinkedIn but uh, the, the happy ending was uh, I asked her to marry me in the middle of George Square in Glasgow where I was born um, she had no idea it was brilliant I used my late mother's ring as well so that was really really something
0: oh that's beautiful oh, yeah. amazing congratulations for that so what would
1: adventure look like to you oh that's easy me and Laura that's my my fiance. At the top of a monroe somewhere in scotland uh absolutely i just we, we love climbing uh um, hey. when i'm when i'm when i'm fit and able of course <laughs> so, yeah absolutely
0: yeah. oh yeah. amazing an amazing place to do that as well it's beautiful
1: yeah
0: a challenge you overcame uh that changed your life oh
1: all right okay uh a bit but kind of deep here but uh again i wrote about this on linkedin so Back in 2018, I was, in all honesty, I was actually suicidal. Uh, My mother, I talked about her, growing up in care, but my natural mother died on the morning I was supposed to meet her. Uh, Back in 2017, my marriage ended not long after that and I didn't get to see my kids and I was really in a dark place Uh, by 2018. But I overcame it, healed, uh, met the love of my life and a happy ending. So, yeah, how it changed me, it made me more empathetic, it made me understand why I'm here finally I, I aligned my professional and personal life because i wasn't really being truly me uh until i actually told my story a little bit which i'm getting to do today so thank you for that um but yeah uh, it changed me in that well i'm i'm much more level-headed <laughs> in, in in what i think and do now
0: amazing thank you so much for sharing yeah. that because we you know we all go through uh, really, really bad times. And it's nice for somebody to talk about it because then mm. we feel confident about talking about it ourselves. And I know mm. when I I went through uh, my business, got into trouble and then I became homeless um, and without a relationship, I, you know, mentally uh, it was a struggle. You know Mm -hmm. to to motivate myself and and i i actually did some facebook instagram lives and probably because i thought nobody was actually listening but but i found it very therapeutic to talk about it and 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 i think it's nice to hear people like yourself share those really personal difficult times that you went through and it's really encouraging and inspiring that you've come through it and now you know you're you're, you're kind of really really thriving and and so to anyone out there listening you know if you are going through a, a tough tough phase keep stick with it you know talk about it uh don't be frightened to talk about it because you know it's a human thing mm-hmm. you know we all in our lives we all go through this thing but you can get through it
1: yeah, and like you say, the the key thing for me is is speaking. Uh, well, I not just for me, sorry for anybody. If you you know for your listeners as well, it wasn't until I, I mean, I I, I put a cry for help out. I remember on Facebook, and uh, I remember can't remember word for word, but it says something along the lines of, you know, when when you've got a broken arm, you know, we, we say in Scotland you wear a stookie, you know, the, the plaster of Paris. People will sign your stookie and people want to know. But if you say you've got a broken mind, it's almost like it's taboo. And you think, you know, these are these are the things that need to be kind of broken down, and and. It, the minute I spoke about it and started I actually lessened it, and, and I was that was the start of the the healing journey. It's almost mm-hmm. like you kind of hit rock bottom, but then you you got to. There's only one way to go back is back up, yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, and that, that's why I like talking about it because I feel I feel kind of compelled that you know I've I, I've survived that, and if I survived it, then it's duty bound as a human being to share that story with everyone.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you so much for that. It's really, 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 really valuable. Mm-hmm. What? inspires and
1: motivates you a what inspires me um or who motivates you my i would say my, my my kids uh i know it's a bit easy but uh my sons i've got twin boys who just turned 14. they're a handful well two handfuls uh they're almost my height i'm not very tall to be fair but the uh they the. Uh, I, I just just love them and uh I, I watching them grow inspires me it gives me kind of purpose um my fiance her kids too a uh, yeah I, I, I would say that would be it I just that uh, these these are and people that do good you know um when you see people doing good not because they want something just because it's the right thing to do these people inspire me what does success mean to you success means uh every time a company that i work with in the coaching sense wakes up and actually realises their value and then, and then pushes it towards the marketplace and gets results that I just love. I live for it. It's so beautiful.
0: What advice would you give to your younger self?
1: <laughs> Simple. Never give up. Hey, <laughs> thank, Never you give up. Yeah. thank you for that. Thank
0: you. Well, on that note, Joseph, really wonderful speaking to you. It's you been an sure, amazing amazing conversation and so much has come out of that and i can't wait to to read through listen through it again and um i'm sure the listeners would be um really thrilled and interesting and there was uh you know a lot of a lot of energy and and um dynamics and i really enjoyed the conversation so thank you so much for coming on
1: Shu, thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's been an absolute honour. My my first podcast, to be fair. So, thank you for for that. <laughs> well, I'll uh, i maybe come back on in the future and tell you how we're getting on.
0: Fantastic, yeah. And you'd be uh, welcome, yeah. Do come back, do come back, and let us know how you're getting on with the coaching and how the wedding goes and all of all of that. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> totally fantastic. Good. thanks thank, so much. much. Yeah, Keep cheers great. yourself.
1: Thanks very much. Cheers.
0: You've been listening to Construction Cashflow. Hit the subscribe button if you haven't already done so, so you never miss an episode. And remember, the faster cash flows, the faster wealth grows.